I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy. Aggressive, sadistic psychopath. A man who fails to resist his impulses, does not learn by his mistakes, but above all is cold and callous. The ball pain hammer, similar to this one, has been used in the initial attack in most of the killings. Suckless victims ranged in age from 16 to 46. He can behave in between the crimes perfectly normally. I'll kill her for not ringing. So they said you won't have to do somebody's done it for you. And a gruesome game of hide-and-seek with the police that lasted for six long and terrifying years. I have the greatest respect for you, George. But Lord, you are no nearer catching me now than four years ago when I started.
Hello and welcome back to our Good Murderer podcast and welcome to series two. I'm joined, of course I am, it's Ben. Hello my friend, we meet again. It's been a while, where should we begin? Creed. I'm oh, start with Creed. Oh, okay. Awful band, really bad band. No. Ben, are you excited to be here? Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievably excited, sir. Yeah, what have you been up to? Well, what haven't we been up to? No, been, what have you uh, been up to? Well, went through a uh, watering my plants too much phase. Yeah, I, I saw some pictures and they, they were very much any, drowned. Didn't take any photos. Well, okay, well, I was there. So people with a keen eye might realise we're no longer in Butts Cottage. Thank goodness. We're in Boston Sound. <laughs> Thank goodness. We said we'd be back with a bang and we're here now in Boston Sound with producer Dan. Say hi, Dan. Hello. So that's not the voice of God. Dan will be interjecting every once every once in a while. Interesting note, though. This case will have several voices of God. Not just Dan, but uh, it'll be a repeated theme. Yes, very this good. Case. Very so, uh, good. I'll get that in nice and early, Dan. We're very happy to be back. We're very excited for Series 2. We've got a lot of big cases we're going to be getting into. But before we start, a quick word from our sponsor, if you can believe that much. Tom, I'm ready. I've got my bags all packed. What are you on about? Our big US trip. You said we were going to enjoy all that America had to offer. No, you mug. We can now enjoy all the US true crime shows and documentaries, all from the comfort of our own homes. But they're blocked every time I try and search. Ben, let me and our new sponsor, Surfshark VPN, rock your world. And hopefully, unblock your mind. Surfshark is an app and browser extension that essentially lets you place your laptop or phone anywhere in the world enabling you to access the internet as if you were in that country. What, even Netflix? Oh, Ben, listen here. We can now access 15 different Netflix libraries from all around the globe by simply changing our virtual location using Surfshark. It also hides your IP address and encrypts your online information to safeguard your privacy. I mean, that's all well and good for us, Tommy boy, but what do our listeners get out of this? If our audience head over to surfshark.deals forward slash murder and use the code murder, they'll get 83% off plus three extra months for free. That is a pretty killer deal. Surfshark also offers a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you're not even taking a risk. Well, that's good because I hate risks. What do I do now? Maybe unpack your bags and put the kettle on? Sugar? It's January 2nd, 1981. The South Yorkshire city of Sheffield slowly comes to a close. Children are put to bed. Workers are clocking out. Friends, loved ones and even perfect strangers are toasting to the bright hopes of a new year and all the potential it has to offer. As last orders are called, they spill out onto the streets from within the crowded pubs and clubs and stumble off home without a care in the world. This is Sheffield. This is South Yorkshire. They don't carry the worries of their neighbouring regions. They don't carry the fear of the dreaded Yorkshire Ripper as they wander off into the misty night. Sergeant Robert Ring is on a routine patrol with a colleague. He sees a woman in a car with a man and immediately suspects a sex worker and client encounter. The sex worker tells Sergeant Ring that the man in her car is her boyfriend and that there is nothing to worry about. Ring thinks he remembers her for previous prostitution offences. The man in the car says his name is Peter Williams. He adds that he's desperate for the toilet. Ring allows him to go behind a nearby storage tank. The police, meanwhile, find the car's licence plates are false, and Peter admits that so is the name he is given. He says his real name is Peter Sutcliffe, and he's immediately detained and kept in the cell overnight. Police notice Sutcliffe's physical similarity to the Ripper profile. His blood tests show his blood group B, one of the few indisputable forensic details and relatively rare blood groups in the general population. Later that night, Sergeant Ring returns to the scene of the arrest, where he finds that the individual didn't empty his bladder behind the storage tank. 
but had instead emptied his pockets of a knife and ball-peen hammer. So yes, we are covering the Yorkshire Ripper, the first case of Series 2. And a big case at that, Mr. Peter William Sutcliffe. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, it's been one that has come up in many requests we've seen in the comments section. So uh, to those people, thank you very much. And here you go. But it's also been one that personally, I think both of us have uh, have, have wanted to kind of do a bit of a deep dive into for quite some time. Uh, me being from the South, living in Yorkshire. Um, it, there's, there's kind of first-hand experience, uh, not first-hand experience... <laughs> No, you live was, there. I live there, but uh, no, it's uh, it's a very big case in those parts of the world. It affected the whole country. Um, big, big case. Arguably the biggest one we've covered so far. So, uh, we well, yes, to- it was one of the big. Well, it is the biggest manhunt in the UK. So it's a very big case indeed. Before we get into it, we like to often do a kind of looky likey all that kind of thing with it. Mm. Um, I was thinking it looks a bit like Captain Hook's Snidey Disco Brother, and I think his hair looks like black candy floss. Okay, you're talking about like peak 80s Peter Sutcliffe, yeah? Yeah, yeah, peak. Okay, peak. Prime Suff- Sutcliffe. Yeah, Sutcliffe in his prime, yeah. I, I can I can see that, I can see that. I've also got um, kind of a transitional one, so peak Sutcliffe, uh, peak Pete. George Michael? No, hair, George's hair was never like that. But the beard and the face was... Well, you got the beard. Okay, so usually with cases like this, we always like to look back on the childhood and see, you know, how they grew up in the kind of family uh, background and see if there was anything, any red flags or telltale signs to what these people would become. Yeah, and there was a kind of, not immediate uh, warning signs, but he was born into uh, an interesting family dynamic. So firstly, he was a couple of weeks premature uh, brought into the world. So he was a very small baby um, and would grow up to be a fairly small child as well. So um that was a running theme. Um, it remained small. But did he grow bigger when he grew up? As he was growing up, he did grow up. How yes. does age work? I don't. Second of June, nineteen forty-six. Sutcliffe was born in Bingley, which is in Yorkshire, West Yorkshire specifically. He is first child to be born to Kathleen and John. Although he would eventually be joined by another five siblings. So I think straight away before we get into uh, Peter a little bit more detail in his upbringing, it's an interesting point to talk about the father, John, um, who my first uh, kind of insight to him was actually a a video after uh, his son was, you know, convicted and caught. But um, he strikes you as kind of a traditional kind of big and bold uh, Yorkshire man. Apparently he was very, very much a... um, uh, an outgoing guy. Um, What's the... What's the... uh, He was an extrovert. He was an extrovert, so loved being down the pub, loved being with people. And I think uh, he was expecting a similar sort of uh, interest to be born into uh, Peter, but uh, it wasn't quite uh, It wasn't quite to plan. Yeah, and his dad, he was... Uh... He was he was a bit of a jealous type, mm-hmm. his mum, and uh, but he uh, a bit of a hypocrite as well, wasn't he? Uh, he would be very controlling of the mum, mm-hmm. but also wouldn't mind playing away himself. Well, that's it. And he was also uh, at times alleged to have been physically aggressive with the children and with the wife. Um, so it's a, an interesting household. Uh, you know, five kids and a you know, semi-alcoholic, uh, sport-loving, aggressive, <laughs> cheating father. So um, you know. Uh, Peter then, you know, in terms of a role model, he's not got, you know, he's not brought into the, you know, yeah. the strongest male role model, yeah. but very close with his mum. Yeah, so uh, he he would um, lambast in front of the whole family, his mum, and he'd say to the, the whole family that she's been cheating and, and kind of really portray her in a bad way. But but um, Peter was very close to his mum. I think his dad being quite, you know, as you say, quite aggressive at times, he he kind of, he was quite a shy kid as well and he could hide, he would often hide behind his mum 
and yeah, spent a lot of time with her. Yeah, um, there was an interesting uh, kind of a event that happened quite early on in, in Peter's life where his dad had, you know, suspected that um, that Kathleen had been, you know, playing away and uh, actually took Peter with him to confront her while she was with another man. Now, we've read different uh, different uh Stories about whether or not this guy was an ice cream man or a police officer. Yeah, or a policeman. It's very different jobs. Interesting Uh, YMCA that would be. It would be. Mr. Whippy or uh, PC. Whippy. PC Whippy. It could be, you could have done both. She, well, according to uh, John, she probably did do both. (laughs) Hey, oh, and we're back. Just carry on murdering. In his early years at school, uh, he was uh, said to have been a loner, um, really reclusive, didn't like to uh, play with other children or socialise at all, um, to the point where actually John, um, I assume on his lunch break, uh, would head to the school and berate Peter from outside the playground to go and play with other kids. So, you know, go on, go on, go and f-ing play with the other kids. And, <laughs> I couldn't even do an accent, but... Yeah, I think uh, there's an interview with them, which we'll play a bit now. The rather shunned the company of other boys because they were always seemed to be much too big for him. You could walk past the schoolyard during the play period in the afternoon and he'd be stood in a corner by himself. He wasn't the one leading the gang and he'd, he would be he'd participate in pranks and things like that but mm-hmm. he, he it would always be quite harmless. He, he was kind of forgettable as a kid. Very forgettable. Very forgettable. And I think with uh, him being uh, John and Kathleen's firstborn, you know, there were all these expectations that he was going to be just like his old man yeah. and, you know, um, you know, the popular guy down the pub. But yeah, no, it didn't quite work out that way. Um, but a very unremarkable childhood. Um, so he ends up... Uh, um, hating school actually found it really hard to to focus on his schoolwork you know was unexceptional in terms of his ed- education didn't have a big group of friends and he wanted out of school as soon as possible yeah so he, he actually left school at 15 and he got a job where else where else would suit him better but then working as a grave digger mm. which uh is the not, graveyard shift yeah which isn't really yeah i don't know anyone it's not really the first thing you want to leave school and I'm going to go be a grave digger. Not belittling grave diggers, no. but it's uh, very, very fitting into what actually it plays out in Peter's life. Yeah, absolutely. And he's uh, he, this is his first kind of encounter of actually a, a real friendship group. So it's an interesting uh, set of characters that work down at the uh, graveyard. When he's working at the uh, the grave digging site, uh, he, got, he got a nickname from um, the other workers there, which was Jesus, because he had a nice little neat beard, is mm. what they said, which was an odd nickname for, for Peter Sutcliffe. Yeah, well, as well as that, he'd, he'd got into bodybuilding. Um, so he, he'd been, uh, you know, a lot of the bullying throughout his uh, school years was around his size. Um, you know, little little Petey Sutcliffe on the playground, puny-legged Pete. Can imagine you're a horrible kid. No, these, these, are, just... these are coming off the top of your head like nothing. No, 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 I've, I, got, I Googled them. I didn't make them up. You, you Googled puny little Sutcliffe? Uh, puny-legged Pete, sorry. Oh, sorry. That's all right, that's all right. Then. Small little Sutcliffe was the other one. <laughs> Again, I guess... Um, to kind of fight back at the the bullying that he'd suffered, um, obviously gets uh, fascinated and really throws himself into bodybuilding. So starts to get a bit of a bit of um, a figure. He actually ends up being able to beat both his brother and his father at arm wrestling. Well, there you so go. for a fifteen year old, you know, it's not bad going. Um, yeah, I imagine. Well, with that strength that he he gained, obviously he was a grave digger. He would mm. often um, kind of dig up old graves. And he was, he, he, as I said earlier, he was, a, he was a prankster, but he often would do pranks that were very harmless. But he once chased some schoolgirls with a skull, which was, which was funny. He uh, once, tra- and he tried to convince um, some of his friends to come and look at some of the dead females in the mortuary. Mm-hmm. He said, I have the keys. We can go and look at two right ones. 
is what he said, which is horrific. And he, he also apparently hit an old grave digger in the head with a shovel for a joke. Because that's funny. So I already imagine the, 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 his other fellow co-working gravediggers are, are quite a bunch of uh, characters and they must have some, you know, a fairly decent sense of humour as well. That I read, um, I read they were you know, prone to playing pranks on each other, but even for their standards, Peter took it to an, a new level, Yeah, um, which was interesting to read. But uh, yeah, chasing a girl down the street with a skull. Yes, and he'd also often uh, steal jewellery. He wants, you know, he would give them away as presents, kind of the rings he would steal from the graves as well. So yeah, not the nicest lad. So he's, he's obviously already at this point got a weird fascination with death and he has no problem being around dead bodies. Another weird fact that I've picked up on him, this is a bit random, he suffered from hay fever pretty badly and once he was in bed for four days. <laughs> so I don't know how, but I've, never, I've, got, I've got hay fever, but never bad enough to keep me bedridden. No, and if anything, my hay f- I get hay fever pretty bad. You've heard me sneezing, Dan, haven't you? Uh, yes. Having moved from the south to Yorkshire, I, I suffer far less from hay fever in, in Yorkshire than I do down south, so... Some geographical hay fever. That's something for the tourist board of uh, Yorkshire. Yeah, there. Take note, please. Yeah. So on the voice of God, then, I think that takes us nicely on to kind of uh, another uh, event that took place whilst uh, Peter was a grave digger. And that is that while in a freshly dug grave, he began to hear voices. This is where it gets really interesting. He's uh, stumbling around. He actually climbs out of the grave to find where this voice is coming from. Um, and it, it, his recollection, um, he states that it sounded like multiple voices talking over each other. So I imagine like a really bad podcast. Um, <laughs> why didn't you find that funny? Oh, sorry. This is apparently, he would later uh, recollect that this is, according to Sutcliffe, the voice of God, and he found it on a Polish headstone. Um, interesting. And then uh, the voices that he was hearing... How do you mean, sorry, he found it on the, the, the gravestone? He, the voices were coming from a from Polish the, oh. uh, headstone. That's bizarre. Mm, interesting, yeah. But fluent English voice. Mm, well, there you yeah. go. And, uh, Bilingual is, gravestone. Yeah. This is uh, one of the many different uh, justifications or, or motivations behind what he would later go on to do. But apparently this voice would tell Peter that he needed to clean the streets and uh, rid them of all the sex workers. I've heard it's been la- labelled his divine mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is hyping himself up quite a lot. Shall we get into the timeline, Ben? Because there's a lot to cover. So as we mentioned, uh, it's a big, big case to start off. And with that comes a big, big timeline. Um, for me, this case can be put down to Ben's magic free M's. Manhunt. Mistakes. There were many, many mistakes in this case. And that is um, partly what allowed Sutcliffe to continue doing what he was doing for so many years. And the final M is mayhem. Manhunt. Mistakes. And mayhem. And mayhem. Yeah, the three M's. I'd say one M, murder. You know, we both play different systems. There you go. Ben's magic. Mm. Things that make you go. No, not things. He killed people. Yep. So so we already talked about, obviously, uh, his childhood, his upbringing, uh, leaving school, his early and interesting jobs. We're going to go from 1969, the year of 1969, Sutcliffe is first arrested. Sutcliffe first comes to the attention of the police when he is arrested in an area known to be frequented by sex workers. Um, he is discovered holding a hammer and charged with going equipped for stealing. An interesting charge there. Hindsight, of course, will uh, uh, prove that this was a disastrous misreading of the situation. Yeah, well, I guess it's 
like if you get a bag full of if you do something previous in terms of you know any kind of uh, physical yeah. crimes. You're I'm assuming gonna... the girl that was chased down the street with a skull didn't raise that as a concern to the police. No, they probably just thought it was a funny joke. Dicking around. It's, oh, it's just Peter. Stop digging up the graves, you daft bugger. Probably just something like that. But yeah, I mean, it, you were not going to immediately assume he was planning to kill because. You just think, yeah, it, it probably made sense. They look, okay, he's got things ready to go and, and commit a crime of, of stealing. So I think it'd be a bit harsh to say to the police there going, ah, oh, you've made a mistake already. In September 1969, um, Sutcliffe, his first known attack happens in Bradford in the red light district after a series of encounters with sex workers. He felt disgusted with himself and he actually attacked a sex worker with a stone in a sock. The rock and sock connection. I felt like you had that prepared. And what know. a connection it was. Yeah, I mean, it's odd. It's I've heard of like a snooker ball in a sock, and that's yeah, that's not, that's very mafia. I feel. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. There was a lot of um, kind of negative stigma associated with sex workers at the time, so they weren't given maybe as much support from law enforcement as as anyone else would have done. And I remember actually that Sutcliffe was um, pinned pinned for that slightly. So um, he admitted it to the police. The lady filed a complaint that he'd, he'd struck her, um, but when the police went to his door, he said, "I didn't hit her with a rock in a sock. I just." slapped her to the back mm. of the head and he got away with it because she was a sex worker and they said right that's fine just don't you do it again yeah and that was that so they kind of had a dim view on um the victims in this case of course until it was widened to possibly be you know any female at risk i mean we're not really touched on obviously Sutcliffe um and his interest in females so no girlfriends through school no girlfriends through his teenage years the only girl he really encountered was a girl that he chased down the street with a skull so um yeah not very experienced with females at this point the time i knew peter for that uh, roughly two-year period he never had a girlfriend he never no, had a girlfriend. no no a good-looking lad there was no doubt about it you know in his own way but uh, his conversation one really too good, you know, not much chat. He always asked me to, uh, you know, if I had a mate that would make up a foursome, but none of my mates were ever interested, you know. Develops an interest quite early on, possibly from inherited from his father, I'm not sure, um, but a, a keen interest in voyeurism as well as um, kind of watching uh, women go about their business in the uh, the various red light districts uh, within West Yorkshire. So, um, yeah, uh, his first... Uh, for is to attack someone with a rock in a sock selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage shopify's there to help you grow whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person pos system wherever and whatever you're selling shopify's got you covered shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to shopify magic your ai powered all-star Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. 
Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. On the 10th of August, 1974, Sutcliffe marries Sonia Shermer. Now, he had actually met her a few years prior in uh, 1966. At the time, Sutcliffe was 20 and still a virgin. During that time, she suffered several uh, miscarriages. Um, uh, and they, uh, they were informed that as a result, uh, she, she would not be able to have children. It's a, a bit of background on her. She, she was very different to Sutcliffe growing up. She grew up in a very kind of um, conservative household. They listened to classical music. They didn't have a TV. And the parents were very kind of wanting them to do better. So they learned classical instruments. Whereas Sutcliffe's childhood was, was very different to that. And uh, I know her, fa- her father wasn't overly impressed when, when she brought Peter home. Yeah, the bodybuilding gravedigger with a, with a quirky sense of humour. The gravedigger's a quite a good wrestling name, though. Mm. Mm. And you, you'd be a bodybuilder if you were a wrestler anyway. So in a way, it, it all works perfectly. Another interesting um, thing to mention, you mentioned the parents weren't quite so keen on Sutcliffe. Um, and this could be as a result that they were forced when they, uh, when they married to live with them. And uh, this was put down to the fact that... Um, Peter was in and out of different employment, but also that he didn't have a, a you know enough money for them to afford their own place. And this is in part because he was spending a lot of his money down the red light district. On the 5th of July 1975, Sutcliffe would go on to commit his second assault, and this attack was on Anna Rogolsky. Apologies if I've pronounced that terribly. Sounded good. She was walking alone and he struck her unconscious with a bullpen hammer and slashing her stomach with a knife. He was disturbed by a neighbour whilst he's doing this, so he left her without killing her. She would go on to survive this after extensive medical attention, um, but was psychologically traumatised by the attack, which, of course... This is the thing. And, I mean, his victim count is high enough as well, both for, uh, you know, people that he murdered, but people he attacked and uh, that that would go on to survive. But if you think of the the ongoing impact from that or the the, the psychological impact of that afterwards... Well, like you said, um, you, you mentioned earlier before we started the fact that you, you speak to people now, but um, obviously being a southerner up in, in the least. Yeah, kind of I area. work that into the conversation early with strangers as well. Sometimes, which I should, I, I've learned. It's to, a weird thing to do. Yeah, but I'm fa- I'm so fascinated by this case that is we we introduce I introduce myself. We have a chat. You know, the weather not great in Yorkshire ever to be honest. And you're but like, then tell me about talk, the Ripper. Talk to me about the Ripper. Yeah, and um, it's it's kind of a fifty fifty divide if they decide to continue the conversation with me but um some people obviously uh, are on are in the camp that it, it it's a horrible stain on on the the region's history and you know the less spoke about him the better i did some irreparable so they're like shut up yeah well it could be more of a sight on me yeah um but then there's the second camp that as soon as i mention it are extremely excited to talk about it and you know not proud of the fact that it's happened but they, they'll they'll either know someone that was directly impacted by this or the friend of a friend um you know it's it's they're all areas as well eerily that that i know quite well so you know there's the round hay park which we'll go on to some more detail on but you know i walk my dogs there um so it's quite eerie and that fascination has always been there you know it wasn't the reason i did move to yorkshire just to i don't think anyone was thinking that thank god thank god but you did live at home for a little while beforehand. Um, so I would say to say the, the echoes of this terror still rings true around the Yorkshire area. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Absolutely. So the very next month, Sutcliffe would follow a very, very similar um, pattern to the attack on Anna, this time attacking a lady called Olive Smelt. Follow the exact same instance in that he would strike her from behind with a ball-peen hammer. And this time, instead of um, slashing her uh, in the stomach area, I, I assume this is because she fell forwards after the strike, he um, he started to slash um, just above her buttocks, so kind of the lower back Again, Sutcliffe was interrupted and again he had to flee. Um, so uh, just like Rogulski, um, uh, Olive survived but was impacted, mass- impacted massively, um, you know, psychologically and uh, would go on to, to never really trust men after this. Yes, yeah, completely understandable. I think as well, obviously getting a, a big blow to the head um, is, is going to, can also leave some, some damage there as well. So yeah, suffering with clinical depression afterwards. I guess, yeah, not trusting men after that, you you cannot blame her. Um, It would be a very traumatic experience. So in the same month, Sutcliffe attacked a 14-year-old girl, Tracy Brown, and he struck her from behind, hit her in the head with a hammer five times, which is is horrible. And she survived this. Yeah, she did survive this. So there's an interview with her. um, And yeah, obviously she was very um, traumatised by this. She she, She spoke to the police afterwards, and the description she gave of Sutcliffe was a the image that, that they got from yeah, it I remember you, yeah. is, is great. It's like spot it's in, on. Yeah, she did such a good job. Especially good. I mean, you imagine being hit in the back of the head. This guy had been bodybuilding. The fact that she survived, was it five hammer blows? Yes. And she was 14 years Staggering. old as well. So yeah, the fact that she's managed to survive there after, after bodybuilding. And, and recount his, his, you know, his, the image of him yeah. so accurately. And she even she even said about, you know, his accent, which we'll come on, come on to later, mm-hmm. but she gave a really good account from it. And as I said, like being hit from behind, she still managed to capture all this information for the police. So uh, yeah, all in all, that was a very, uh, you know, you, you wish that, that the police took heed from that to mm-hmm. the evidence and... You know, now, during this time as well, uh, Sutcliffe had obtained and started using a HGV license as well. So, uh, left the the grave digging role, and he was Spen, now- some people might not know what that is. Do you want to explain to them what a HGV license, what it means? <laughs> uh, I actually don't know. What does heavy H- goods vehicle? Heavy goods vehicle, fabulous, fabulous. Uh, am I right in thinking there are certain levels that you can achieve within HGV? I know that that's. Not an interesting question to ask, but I'm pretty sure you can do, like, you can qualify to... Join us next week when we talk about the history of tractors. The Model D, a name that was soon to be the talk of the country. The 30th of October, 1975, um, the Ripper, as he would go on to be known, claims his first victim, Wilma McCann, who was a mother of four at the time. Sutcliffe followed a similar pattern that he had been in following her um, in the dark while she was on her own. He struck her twice in the head with a hammer before stabbing her 15 times in the neck, chest and abdomen. So I read that apparently um, there was going to be an encounter between them of a sexual nature and uh, he was unable to perform and she mocked him for it. Mm-hmm. And apparently he got so angry uh, that he went to his work bag, got a hammer out and then, yeah, he took it. Yeah, so again, this is, I mean, we, we read the... Um, the the written and verbal uh, accounts of Sutcliffe's eventual statement and this is a very poignant moment um, going back on it Um, he claims that uh, she belittled him um, because he didn't really know how the transaction itself worked and how the act would then carry out she was very unfriendly and um and kind of belittled him as well so he he really did not handle that rejection or kind of the 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 way that they communicated very well at all and that would be something that kind of kick-started 
Yeah, and also like the kind of heartbreaking thing was he did have a young, she did have a young family, and the next morning they went looking for her. Luckily, they didn't find her themselves. But um, yeah, it's very sad. The only bit of evidence police really got from that situation was they got a workman's boot print, mm-hmm. which was size seven. So he was, you know, he for a, I think he had some issues with terms of obviously growing up, um, quite small and tiny, tiny feet. Dan, how big are your feet? Eight and a half. Eight and a half. Oh, well, you had to put the half in there. I feel like you're slightly self-conscious about it, it as well. It makes a difference, so half. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. All right, back to it. So of her uh, four children, sadly, one of the children would go on to take their own life. Um, yeah, she got, she reached the age of her mother was when, when she was killed. And mm-hmm. she felt like she didn't deserve to live longer than her mother. And, and she uh, committed it's suicide. Tragic. That's so sad. It's so and sad. Another one of her children is now a motivational uh, speaker. Um, and he, he, in one of the documentaries we watched in preparation for this, he gives a very heartbreaking account of, of the police coming home and saying, your mummy has gone to heaven and you won't be seeing her again. Um, but he's now, you know, gone on to be a, you know, he does motivational speeches all across the country. Um, but he mentioned, uh, that the, um, the kind of, um, the reference point photo that the news, various news outlets were using was a, he was really upset that it was a bad photo of his mum. And he actually, um, referred to it as looking similar to Myra Hindley. Oh, okay. Um, and it is, it's not the, it's not the, you know, he said that his mum was a beautiful woman and a beautiful person. And he felt that together with the fact that she was, you know, announced, in the news as a, as a, as a sex worker, yeah. twinned with that photo, it was really not a good look um, for you know. It wasn't a very sympathetic, yeah, um, yeah kind of bit of publication. So yeah. So Sutcliffe will go on to commit his next murder in Leeds in January 1976, where he stabbed 42 year old Emily Jackson 52 times. 52 times. It's that's like when you hear the kind of cases where it's like that, you know, you just imagine they're not absolutely they see red in a complete fit of rage, and it's just it's, mayhem. One yeah. of the three M's. Or murder, as... The one M the one system. M. Yeah, the one M system. 52 times. So to go back to, uh, you know, the the four or five hits to the head with a hammer. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's horrible. I mean, it's a similar kind of situation. as a sex worker. Um, Sutcliffe had a very clear idea of the kind of people he wanted to go after. Hmm. So not only did he hit her in the head with a hammer, he also dragged her into a rubbish-strewn yard with a sharpened screwdriver to stab her in the neck, chest and abdomen. Um, and Sutcliffe stamped on a thigh, leaving her behind an impression of his boot. That size seven boot. Yep. There you so, go. Yeah, it just seems like he had a lot of anger. Yeah. Anger within him. Aggressive, vicious. Okay, so the 9th of May 1976, Sutcliffe is again on the prowl and he's driving around uh, the streets of Roundhay. Um, lovely area, by the way. <laughs> Why are you trying to is sell it, leads on not, Yorkshire? Right, sorry about that. So... 9th of May 1976, Sutcliffe is again on the prowl for his next victim, and he picks up 20-year-old Marcella Claxton in Roundhay Park in Leeds. Marcella was uh, walking home from a party. Uh, she'd had a fair bit of alcohol so far that night and uh, and happily gets into the car with Sutcliffe. Now, an interesting detail here is that whilst uh, whilst he's driving her home, yep. um, in inverted commas, she asks if if uh, he can pull over so that she can go to the toilet. Um, and as she uh, gets out of the car, you know, he obliges, lets her out of the car. As she gets down uh, to go to the toilet, she's then getting back, ready to get back up, and she feels a blow to the back of the head. So Sutcliffe um, speeds off, um, not knowing that Marcella is still alive. And at the time, she was actually four months pregnant. Um, she would later go on to um, have a miscarriage, unfortunately. Um, but she did... Uh, uh, 
uh, inform the police and make uh, make the complaint. She provided a very accurate description of um, of Sutcliffe, but perhaps due to the fact that um, she uh, was a, a minority at the time, the police didn't take her uh, account seriously. I mean, as you, uh, the mock up as well that she said was was very on point, and you think there's now two people that have said hammer this mock-up there's a clear link here between the cases and even the people that were you know the actual people that that did lose their lives there's a clear link in terms of the kind of wounds that they suffered Mm -hmm. so you think the police are now starting to get an idea this this isn't just a random one-off yeah Uh, this is someone going out there attacking people on the 5th of february 1977 Sutcliffe would go on to attack irene richardson a a chapel town sex worker he would take her to a park and bludgeon her to death with a hammer um, once she was dead, he. This is a really odd one because I think he's starting to get a bit of a buzz from the kind of crime mm-hmm. reports because he actually positions the body after he's he's killed her and he's and it's been it's speculated he actually moved it around two or three times. So when people when the person walks around the corner when they discover the site because it's quite a clear way you walk around apparently that they would see it in a certain way. So he moved the legs, he put the boots in certain places. He was thinking. He wanted. He was thinking of it kind of like a director. This is how I want to relate the scene to everybody. It's a really odd. It's like, it's like, it's like thinking into his psyche. He's getting the buzz from this. He wants to be known for it in a certain way. Yeah, it's it's very bizarre. Like yeah, even moving her possessions to look a certain way. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because if you really um, you know take a bird's eye view on this timeline and and, and mistakes is kind of um, on on both parts. He's not a you know he's not a, he doesn't come across as your you know highly intellectual serial killer. He no. would go on to make quite a few mistakes, but for then him to have this elaborate kind of right, well, I want to set her up like this and do this, this, and this. Um, it's it's really interesting because at some point at some points he just seems like quite a lazy guy as well. Mm. Some of the things he does. But uh, he's obviously gone the extra mile here to um, to position her and and, uh, and then obviously cause a bit of an impact on whoever discovers her body's life. Yeah, so, yeah. and so yeah. he left tire tracks there in the murder scene. That's the only thing that the police could take from that from that case. But again, I think they're obviously going to think bludgeon in the head, sex worker. They're linking it all together. Yeah, same area around here again. Yeah. yeah. So on the sixth of February, nineteen seventy-seven, the tracking inquiry is launched. Now, having acquired a good quality um, uh, capture of the tire track uh, by the the latest scene, police were able to extract that um, and began a colossal task of trying to identify the make and model used by her killer. By careful measurement of the track width and turning circle of the car, police were able to narrow the potential types of vehicle down to just fifty-one models of car. Yeah. I say just 51 models of car. I mean, I couldn't name 20 models of car. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's, it's obviously the police don't have a lot to go on. I mean, they have two good mock-ups to yeah. go on, but they're, they're going off this and it's like, yeah, there's 50, they found those, those models, 53,000 car owners of those models. A small feated car driver. Yeah. It's essentially what they're looking for. Exactly. And so they contacted over 30,000 of those owners and had no results. But I just think like, obviously, if you're that policeman calling people constantly about it, by the time you're on your six thousand one, <laughs> you're not going to have the same gusto. No. I mean, the thing is, the police get ripped to shreds about this whole case. It went on so long. They they did make a lot of mistakes. They definitely did. They didn't help themselves a lot, a lot along the way. But at the same time, as you do start to say, they definitely put in. Oh, the the, the work. The the man hours were there. The yeah. graft was there. It's hard work. It's not working smart. But they're putting in the hours, yeah, but in, in the wrong places. It seems. A hundred percent, and that'll be a recurring theme. Two months later, on the 23rd of April, Sutcliffe killed Patricia Atkinson. She was a sex worker from Bradford in her flat. So that's quite a different thing for his other, other cases he killed inside a household. Um, which, yeah, it's, it's, he's starting to change his kind of 
his mode of, of killing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, uh, again, it's quite risky because obviously getting seen going in there. All yeah. these other places are very kind of hidden He's away. He's kind of left the safety of his vehicle as well. Yeah. Um, and th- I had this horrific term which kind of stuck with me after this. Obviously, he, you know, he after he would begin bludgeoning, he would, you know, just go, go to absolute town and it was horrible. But mm-hmm. apparently the term they use is bag of marble skull which is the official oh. term, because it's, it's fractured all over the, the skull. So it's literally mm-hmm. like a bag of marbles, which is horrible. And I'm amazed that that's actually a term that is used. But yeah, that was a term that was used for that murder. Bag of marbles skull. And he actually left a uh, bloody boot print on one of the bed sheets. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, it's... it's um, is he doing this on purpose with the boot? The boot? Because this is two now where he's left a, a boot indentment on a body. I, I think he's just... Just he's not thinking he's not thinking yeah I, 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 don't, I don't know there might be something else in it but it just seems to be a mistake rather than a put out calling card it's a terrible calling card mm-hmm. a boot yeah boot yeah it's like the uh, the wet bandits yeah leaving the taps running that's a good calling card actually it could actually, ruin, that one. It could actually ruin the, the crime scene Exactly. so wet bandits fair play there you go okay so the 26th of June 1977 two months later um, he murdered 16 year old Jane McDonald now this is a big one because Jane was obviously 16 at the time this happened in Chapel Town by the way but she was not a sex worker um, Sutcliffe would later go on to um, explain that he was under the impression a complete impression that she was a sex worker she wasn't um, and the public perception then changed massively um, and showed that all women were potential victims that's, and not just that's sex the, workers. That's a horrible thing, isn't it? With the, yeah. the, 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 everyone thought, oh, this is fine if it's, you know, they're sex workers, it doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. then seeing someone who isn't a sex worker, let's take this more seriously. I think, and it's just a sign, it's a sign of the times. And it's, yes, it's horrible that it took someone who wasn't in that industry to be taken seriously. Yeah, a horrible detail as well of how the public were so so under the pretense that it would just be sex workers that were targeted. Um, the father of uh, Jane McDonald, uh, the police arrived at um, their house the following morning. She'd obviously been gone the whole night. The police officer knocks at the door. The dad answers, um, you know, are you the father of Jane? He says, yes, I'm going to kill her when she gets home. And apparently the police officer then goes, you might not have to. Oh, yeah. Don't do it. Don't do a bit if you're like police officer. Yeah, it's not now's not the time. He's thinking this is this is like I'm in the movies. It's not just do your job. Properly. You might not have to say. Yeah. yeah so this then kind of um, turns the whole case, the whole region, the whole country. Uh, it, it sends it into it sends them into bedlam, and now all women fear for their lives. So in 1977, the track inquiry ended. So there's still 20,000 cars left for them to check. Oh, you mean it didn't work? No, but Sutcliffe's car was on the remaining list. Hmm. So they were they were going in the right way about it, but yeah, they did they didn't get to get to his car there. So, Technology would have probably helped that inquiry quite rapidly. I mean, it's the 1977. I so. know. Yeah, fair point. So if they time traveled, then yeah, it would have been brilliant. <laughs> you could just time travel to now, Google who did it, then go back. So on the 1st of October 1977, Sutcliffe murdered Jean Jordan, who was a sex worker from Manchester. So he's now moved into a new city to claim his next victim. In a later confession, Sutcliffe said that he had realised how he had used a new £5 note, one of the newly printed £5 notes, as uh, as part of the financial exchange with her. Payment. Uh, as payment, yeah, thank you so much. You know, the following evening, Sutcliffe is at a family party um, with his in-laws and Sonia and realises that he could potentially be traced by this new 
new five pound note. So he makes the decision to spend a bit more time at the party and then drop his in-laws in-laws off at home. That provides him with a perfect kind of alibi. As far as he's as far as he's aware, he's been at a party. He then heads over to Manchester to try and uh, recover this five pound note. He searches everywhere and he could not find it. Potentially in rage, um, he then uh, further mutilates Jordan's corpse. So one of the interesting bits of evidence from this particular murder was the fact that the police found that there were certain fly eggs because the body had been there for a little while and these because the body was left out in the sun um, the fly eggs in the body were actually would only be in there if it was in the shade in a cool damp space so it, show, mm-hmm. it showed the body had been laying there for a couple of days in the damp space but then he moved it yeah um, which is yeah it's a very it's a peculiar thing that he went back there and obviously a peculiar thing to move it in a way it's like he moved it from a hidden area as well into a more well you know yeah. lit area for people to see it another gruesome bit of detail from here is obviously Sutcliffe had gone there for the uh, sole purpose of finding and retrieving this five pound note so he didn't take his, his kit with him you know his hammer his screwdriver his knives selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. When he did become enraged, um, you know, he didn't have any weapons on him, but he was furious. So he picked up some broken glass and slashed her stomach more before trying to remove her head with the broken glass. But he was unsuccessful. Yeah. Um, but that's just a bit more of uh, an insight to his psyche there. So another little uh, tidbit on the 9th of October, Jordan's body was discovered by, uh, at the time, dairy worker, but future actor, Bruce Jones. Um, I did have to Google this, but he's Les from Coronation Street. There you go. Some more information on that freshly printed £5 note. Uh, so the police start working closely together with operatives from the Bank of England and together they are able to trace the batch of £5 notes to which it had been delivered to a branch of the Midland Bank in Shipley. So following on from this information from the bank, the police interviewed people who were working at these places and that led them to interview Sutcliffe. And that happened on November the 2nd. So um, by this stage, they'd already interviewed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And Sutcliffe said, Sutcliffe said, I think there's 400 over that weekend. And he said, by he could have said anything to them by this point because they're so tired. Mm-hmm. He was just, you know, able to say, he said a week excuse basically and Sonia, his wife, backed him up. I was at a party. 
Yeah, and then they were like, they, "Okay, that's fine." They just they just took it for yeah. gospel. I mean, it's, it's one of those where that yeah, that's from your M's Ben's magic M's or wherever you said it was. They basically they basically Perfect. they basically said yes. Um, you know, they made a mistake. They just they just took his word for it. Didn't really kind of dig into it or mm-hmm. and see anything other than that. So by this stage as well, we were, we we're saying that he he was starting to enjoy the kind of press and the kind of fame around it. And uh, when he, uh, as we said with Sonia's parents, they were a lot more conservative. Didn't have a TV. He actually struck up a relationship with the neighbour, a Ronald. He'd go over there and watch TV around there when they're spending time over the in-laws. Which I can't imagine that going well. Saying I'm just going to pop over to Ronald's because I want to watch some telly. So he spent time with Ronald a lot of time. Go to the pubs with Ronald and also go to the red light district areas with Ronald. But Ronald. So he would just go to sleep in the car when he when he would go off and speak to other women. But um, apparently, driving through the red light district, Peter once said, "This is Ripper country," mm. which, in hindsight, obviously is a lot more chilling. But I mean, in at the time, it was just it was just correct. That's why most of the crimes were being committed. But um, yes, well, that's an interesting point there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, hindsight's a beautiful thing. But a lot of his close friends and and um, people that he would encounter in the pubs um, would say that a lot of the time he would talk with them about what they thought of the, the the crimes, who they thought it could be, and he would chip in with you know his own you know his own opinion of yeah. it. So he's very involved, as as, as often serial killers are, um, with you know his own case. And even with the mock-ups, people at his work would jokingly call him the Ripper because because yeah. obviously he looked like him. A week later, they interview him for a second time but this time they follow it up by um you know following through the alibi that he was at a house party um by catching up with Sutcliffe's mother to corroborate that housewarming party story so um you know as far as they're concerned case closed it can't possibly be peter william Sutcliffe. yes so the 14th of december 1977 Sutcliffe attacked marilyn moore she was another sex worker from leeds but she survived there are tire tracks in the scene which match the earlier attacks and the description also matched the one of the attacker so we move into 1978, and uh, in January, they call off the, the £5 note lead. Later that month, Sutcliffe would kill again. This time, 21-year-old sex worker Yvonne Pearson, who was from Bradford, and again, a similar pattern, he repeatedly bludgeoned her about the head with a ball-peen hammer, then jumped on her chest before stuffing horsehair into her mouth from a discarded sofa under which he hid her body near Lum Lane. Ten days later, he went on to kill Helen Ritzker, an 18-year-old sex worker from Huddersfield. Her body was found three days later beneath the railway arches. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's got a very clear pattern. He's still, even after the interviews, he hasn't been scared. He still is going to carry on, be, still be as brash. Not as to be was. swayed. No. Yeah. Okay, so we move on to the 8th of March, 1978. Now, we've done an Instagram post about this uh, individual that would later uh, be known as having been responsible for this. Um, but the uh, first letter having claimed to be written by the Yorkshire Ripper arrives addressed to Chief Constable George Oldfield and it reads Dear Sir, I am sorry I cannot give my name for obvious reasons I am the Ripper, I've been dubbed a maniac by the press but not you you call me clever and I am you and your mates haven't got a clue that the photo in the paper gave me fits and that bit about me killing myself no chance, I've got things to do my purpose to rid the streets of them sluts Warn whores to keep off streets because I feel it coming on again. Sorry about young Lassie, um, referring to McDonald he didn't know was not a sex worker, Jack the Ripper. He uh, he concludes, might write again later. I'm not sure last one really deserved it. Whores getting younger each time. Old slut next time, I hope. Huddersfield never again. Too small, close call last one. So this is obviously a huge, um, huge part of the police investigation. They've finally they've got a letter from from the Ripper. The first time that he's reached out to him, or so they think. The letter was postmarked from Sunderland, so they thought the person was local to the area. 
they rightly thought that um but then this immediately is just throwing the cat amongst the pigeons they're like there should we bring our investigation over to sunderland does he is he just posted a letter from there there's a lot of questions that are asking themselves even some of the similar language using there like lassie it's like it does it does imply northern mm-hmm. um further north sorry but it, it's it's really this is where the police had a kind of crossroad do they still keep the search down here or do they take it up up north yeah the man responsible for this decision george oldfield would cop a lot of the criticism and he take he took this case extremely personally he would never go home he'd work 24 hour shifts in the uh, in the office um he had a couple of uh, bottles of whiskey in his drawer and um his health would also rapidly deteriorate during taking on this case but he received a hell of a lot of stick um and uh, you know he makes up one of the magic m's mistakes in terms of the uh, just the stress the police were under, they he, he one of his tactics was writing everything on um, palm cards. Yeah, palm so, cards. So and they had to reinforce the floor of the police station because the weight of the cards were you know tons and tons and tons. Which you think it's insane. just the fact of going through that, like how unpractical it, impractical it is to go through those to find and collate information. But they had to, yeah, they had to reinforce the floor of the police station because there's so much evidence mm-hmm. I mean obviously they've interviewed thousands of people like 5,000 people just about the five point five pound note mm-hmm. uh, 20,000 30,000 people about the car even just that alone a manpower alone mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people weren't seeing their family a lot during that time as the policeman exactly and again you can then kind of see how maybe time and time again um, Sutcliffe did slip through the cracks you know or slip through the uh, the paper cards you know um, it's it's um it's you know from that side you can see but then again the warning signs were there on multiple occasions yes i mean the thing the big thing for me is just the uh the photo fit of of Sutcliffe and how you know the, the first, first three people first three, were yeah. pretty bang on in terms of the descriptions it's, yeah so on the 16th of may 1978 Sutcliffe killed vera millward in an attack in the car park of manchester royal infirmary so again it's a very public place he's getting more and more brash as he goes on i think after these interviews he's done and he's you know he's feeling he's feel got better. away with it he's just feeling invincible yeah definitely yeah yeah okay so on the 13th of august 1978 Sutcliffe is interviewed for the third time um so he's interviewed after his red ford corsair not to be confused with a Vauxhall corsa two very different cars the police had noted that the red ford corsair had been observed going through bradford's red light district no fewer than seven separate occasions yeah so they they started monitoring the red light districts and seeing who were regularly frequenting those places frequenting those places mm-hmm. but they also will keep an eye on, on separate ones to see if it's just one person in the same place they won't be bothered but if they're going all to the different ones yeah. they're keeping a close eye on that so an interesting bit of tension had developed here as well between uh, police officers kind of uh, observing and and, um, and trying to keep the streets safe and the sex workers themselves because obviously they were out to work they wanted to work but there was a very um, conflictual relationship between the two the police were obviously you know um kind of uh not forcing them but very you know very much encouraging them to go home yeah. um and and um and obviously they had the need to be out there and you know and earning money a lot of them came from poverty at the sure. time so it was a very very um tumultuous uh, relationship there but also we've had um we've had a n- multiple people mention um you know in preparation for this uh, this case that that they had relatives. Uh, I mean, um, one person mentioned that their great aunt was a, a, a police officer, and she was actually made to to, to go 
um, undercover undercover yeah on the streets and um, we have multiple people i don't know if this was just a trend at the time but multiple people that had bearded and long dark-haired relatives that were interviewed and and, and accused at times yeah. um for for being the ripper himself so um everyone's panicking at, the, at this point um people are living in fear and they 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 are you know no closer to catching him so during that time when he was interviewed about that he said that it was just his his route home and that they kind of and Sonia backed that up offered, it was a trucker you know any route yeah. could be his route home I mean Sonia offered her alibis for her husband's presence on two murders so I mean by this stage as well she's offering all these alibis which obviously she knows isn't isn't true uh, so she, I mean you kind of questioning a bit how much does is she starting to go oh all these mugshots look awful look like Peter yeah, looks like our Peter yeah so very curious there you go another uh, footnote from that is that uh, while interviewed the police were unaware that Sutcliffe had recently bought a black sunbeam rapier and that had actually also been clocked nine times in the same red light district so on the 4th of April 1979 Sutcliffe killed Josephine Whittaker a 19 year old building society clerk whom he attacked on Savile Park Moor in Halifax when she was walking home so the thing about this one is she's not a sex worker and it is I don't think he's made a mistake here I think he's now knows the police are monitoring the red light district areas mm-hmm. and his hatred for women is just he's like I'm not just going to do sex workers I'm going to go broaden it which again will cause more panic in the area and cause more you know um, mayhem I mean they're all innocent victims at the end of the day but this is again for, at the time in the public um, out causing more outrage because it's not you know a red light district so the assistant chief constable George Oldfield would receive a tape, a recorded tape from um, the Ripper and for people listening, the Ripper in inverted commas, um, which would lead the investigation in a different way. I have the greatest respect for you, George. Good Lord. You are no nearer catching me now than four years ago when I started. I warned you in March that I'd strike again. So yes, so it's very it's very eerie listening to that. Yeah, chilling. And if you listen to it under the view that that's the legitimate Ripper, yeah, it's um it's horrifying, and you can understand why um why potentially Oldfield would uh, redirect the inquiries uh, further north to the kind of Wearside Sunderland area. So with with that, that they found there was no um, fingerprints on the tape. Um, he was very careful about that. But there's a single grain of custard powder, meaning that he has likely been put together in his kitchen, which doesn't narrow it down really i mean lots of people have kitchens but for the first time ever they managed to extract saliva from the seal of the envelope and they found out he had one of the rarest blood types in the country shared by only six percent of the population so that's immediately gonna they think oh amazing that's narrowed this right down and i mean any any chance they get to kind of chase a lead they they clearly are chasing it you know full full force and you can't blame them but this moment itself and we'll go on to discuss the uh the person that was behind these letters and tapes Mm. um you know this caused a massive amount of diversion from the actual area of where the investigation should have been and this is where the mistakes and the mayhem come into play slightly more um so they redirect some inquiries uh to go to sunderland he actually ends up oldfield sending hundreds of officers on what is now known as a wild goose chase from door to door um through various towns within sunderland so that is going on um during this point the 6th of august 1979 Oldfield falls ill, so George Oldfield's body finally revolts against the 14-hour, seven-day weeks he is working, and he suffers a series of minor heart attacks. He is forced to go on sick leave. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it shows how much he was given to the investigation. On the 1st of September 
1979, Sutcliffe murdered 20-year-old Barbara Leach, a Bradford University student. Her body was dumped at the rear of 13 Ashgrove under a pile of bricks. It's just the complete lack of respect he has for any anyone at this stage. It's just horrible. This was a murder of a woman who was not a sex worker, which again prompted alarm from the public. Um, yeah, it's, it's, as I said, it's, it's, he's, he's winded. It doesn't have to be sex workers now. He's winded. Anyone is, it can be a victim. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So on the 13th of September 1979, a special notice is issued. And this goes out to the whole, I mean, I was talking to my parents, they remember this news alert going out, um, you know, and they're at the south of the country. Um, so on the strength of their belief in the valid, uh, validity of the Ripper letters and subsequent tape, West Yorkshire Police issue a nationwide special notice to all police forces stating that a person can be eliminated, remember that word, from the inquiries if, number one, they are not born between 1924 and 1959, number two, he is an obvious coloured person, number three, his shoe size is nine or above, interesting one there number four his blood group is other than b and number five perhaps most importantly his accent is dissimilar to a northeastern geordie accent so basically if they don't have a geordie accent and their shoe size is oversized nine um you can you can uh, you can uh, eliminate them yeah so obviously that's eliminating well Sutcliffe. So Sutcliffe <laughs> is yeah on hearing this he must have been the happiest uh, happiest man in the country so on the 25th of January 1980, Sutcliffe is arrested for drink driving. You would have thought at this time he would be more careful. Um, and when he was waiting trial for this, he actually went on to kill two more women, um, which he yeah, he thinks he, you know, he can get away with any, anything at this stage. And to be fair, he has and continues to do so. Yes. Yeah. He also went on to attack three other women who survived in Leeds on 24th of September. So on the 17th of November 1980, this is late at night, um, Sutcliffe having eaten some chicken and chips from KFC, he spots Jacqueline Hill um, and follows her to a quiet dark spot where he attacks her with his hammer before stabbing her many times with a sharpened screwdriver. Apparently, and this is grim by the way, still disturbed by the fact that her eyes were still open looking at him, he viciously stabs her through one of her eyes. 20-year-old Jacqueline Hill was a student at Leeds University. Her body was found on wasteland near the Arndale Centre. So the 25th of November 1980, Trevor Birdsell, a friend of Peter Sutcliffe who had been with him on the night of his first attack, finally makes his suspicions formal, writing to the police, I have good reason to know the man you are looking for in the Ripper case. This man has dealings with prostitutes and always had a thing about them. His name and address is Peter Sutcliffe, 6 Garden Lane, Heaton, Bradford, works for Clark's Transport Shipley. Despite being marked as priority number one and indexed against Sutcliffe's name, it is lost in the filing system until after his eventual arrest. Yeah, that's see, that's a big, that's one of those where you go, yeah, that is just completely on them. A huge mm-hmm. mistake there. Um, the fact is, a friend as well saying it. Yeah. Um, even earlier on, one of the cases where the, one of the girls earlier on who survived the um, hammer attack, she was really trying to stress to the police. He has his accent isn't from he's not a Geordie yeah. he's, he's he's local to this area but they wouldn't listen and going back to Marcella as well the the uh, the lady that he picked up from the party the drunk lady um, she was discounted again because of her ethnicity and she provided a perfect summary of his description um, 
and again, this is super early on. Um, you know, I think he'd only had maybe three or four victims before that. So during the investigation, the p- pressure on the police was piling on, and they brought some code breakers in from Bletchley Park, just kind of trying to figure out if there's a pattern somewhere or, or how you know the, why the murders been committed where they are. Mm-hmm. And and basically, what they used was a system they used um, a formula they used to locate airfields on mainland Europe by the, the timings of when the murders would happen mm-hmm. and the kind of route in which they would go. They is yeah they really went kind of forensic on it and figuring out mathematically how and what like where he would be based and they did say he'd be based in the Bradford area which is amazing they could figure that out it's very calculated they basically mapped out where his victims were where they occurred and kind of flagged them on a map and then you could kind of see the central radius was yeah Bradford. in terms of if he was going to for example if he used the, the, the murders in Bradford were committed earlier in the day whereas if, if it was in Leeds it'd be slightly later and he'd be have to drive from there to there they basically mapped out and figured out Bradford is the place we need to be looking and yeah that's what that's what and on the flip side I guess Sutcliffe always had up his sleeve the fact that he was a HGV driver yep. he was going through various uh, you know red light districts but that was part of his commute if you will definitely um, yeah. so he, you know he had a he had an answer for everything so on the 5th of january 1981 sutcliffe is formally charged with murder at dewsbury police station now this is the uh, the archival footage that always you can hear and feel evil in the air when they pull him in you can hear bastard you can hear die ripper die um, all sorts you can hear people thinking our neighbors were the killer all these things all culminates in, in the anger that's shown to him so when sutcliffe was arrested the police got him in, into the interview they asked him to undress in front of him and oh. this is one of the most bizarre things he was wet so he pulled down his trousers and he revealed that he's wearing a v-neck sweater but on his legs yes so his his, his penis was always ready to kind of you know it's essentially a, a rape outfit that's what he yeah. was wearing it for and also the kind of patches on the elbows to protect his knees can you imagine he's gone from this position of thinking that he's he's immortal he's not going to get caught to now standing in front of a policeman wearing a v-neck sweater around his legs with a knob out so obviously the monologue um, at the beginning of the episode, you know, talked about the night he was caught and he was then held for two days before he eventually confessed. Um, and it's quite a, a goosebumps kind of moment uh, when he finally admits it. So it was Detective Boyle who was interviewing um, Sutcliffe and he, he asks, do you recall that before you were uh, put into a police car at Sheffield that you had left your car and went to the side of a house? Sutcliffe responds, yes, I went to urinate against the wall. Boyle, I think you went for another purpose. No response from Sutcliffe. Boyle uh, then goes on to say, do you understand what I'm saying? I think you are in some serious trouble. Sutcliffe, I think you have been leading up to it. Boyle, leading up to what? Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. Boyle, what about the Yorkshire Ripper? Sutcliffe, well, it's me. So yeah, Sutcliffe went, pretended he was going to go urinate, but he actually dropped off some of his, um, a rope, wasn't it? A rope and a... Um, rope, hammer, and I believe a small knife, yeah. um, his little murder kit. To go off that as well, shortly after he confessed, um, the first person he wanted to speak to, I mean, the confession is online. It is a well worth a read if you if you get the time. But um, um, he, he wanted to speak to Sonia before anyone else. And Sonia then, upon hearing this, I mean, she's in complete shock. She um, kind of demands that before he's taken away, he comes to the house and eats cake and has a glass of milk which he does 
and the police allow him to do, handcuffed to another one of the constables. That's very bizarre. So 19th of May 1981, he's found guilty of 13 charges of murder and seven of attempted murder. He is sentenced to 30 years, with the judge remarking he believes Sutcliffe to be beyond redemption. So on the 22nd of May 1981, he begins his sentence at Parkhurst. Yes, there was obviously a lot of national attention on this, but also, you know, other prisoners, other convicts were aware that he'd been, you know, killing girls and and women, so there there was anger from every direction on, uh, on Sutcliffe. Now, yeah, so and, and and very young women as well, which you know, child, anyone killing or any harm towards kids in prison is seen yeah. as you know the lowest of the low. Absolutely, absolutely. So on the tenth of January, nineteen eighty-three, um, Sutcliffe is attacked for the first time in prison, and this is by inmate James Costello, who slashes Sutcliffe's face with a broken coffee jar. In March, nineteen eighty-four, he is sent to Broadmoor under the terms of the nineteen eighty-three Mental Health Act. So on the 24th of May 1989, Sonia Sutcliffe wins damages for libel from Private Eye. So a jury awards Sonia a record of £600,000 in damages after finding that Private Eye, who were a um, kind of... political satire magazine. ...had attempted to profit from her story. Uh, The amount is reduced on appeal uh, to £60,000. So that's a massive reduction. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with this as well. Like, Sonia, she doesn't seem to be punished for the fact that she's given alibis. I know, obviously, she's in a situation with a killer, a serial killer, yeah. uh, but she's provided alibis for her husband all the way through this. And, um, yeah, she's obviously private eye, who are known for being very kind of sarcastic and making jokes about things. Yeah, £60,000, she's, she's won there. Um, April 1994, Sonia finally divorces Sutcliffe. So he's been in prison now for over 10 years. And she finally decides enough is enough. 23rd of February 1996, Sutcliffe is again attacked in prison, this time by fellow prisoner and convicted robber Paul Wilson, who attempted to strangle Sutcliffe in his cell with a pair of earphones. Yeah, it'll it'll do the job. That adds up. So the 10th of March 1997, he is attacked again in prison by fellow prisoner Ian Kay, and he blinds Sutcliffe in the left eye with a pen. And badly damages the right. So the 17th of September 2003, the police announced that they are calling off the search for the Ripper hoaxer. So obviously having arrested Sutcliffe, they're aware that it's not a Geordie accent or even a Wearside accent um, and that it's quite a thick Yorkshire accent that they are dealing with. Um, there is, you know, public outrage at the time of, well, who was this hoaxer and look, yeah. at, look at the amount of damage they've done and the distraction they have caused from the real case. Um, but the police claim that the offender cannot now be prosecuted for the charge of wasting police time because of the time that has now expired. We have no plans to continue with the matter. On the 20th of October 2005, an arrest for being drunk and disorderly had led to John Humble's DNA being placed on the National Police Database. And the DNA matched the saliva on the uh, seal of the letter. So they, they linked that there and they arrested him on perverting the course of justice. Yeah, and I think, I mean, maybe Humble had plans on take, taking that to the grave with him. It's not something I can imagine he would freely admit. It was time for him to eat some humble pie, maybe with that custard that he liked so much. That's good squishy. Humble at the time was an unemployed alcoholic and long-time resident of, of Sunderland. When he was arrested, it was public knowledge of, of the fact that he was the one who was Wearside Jack. Um, Peter Sutcliffe did write some letters to him and kind of addressed it. He said, you could have saved those three women, John. You have blood on your hands, which is quite, you know... <laughs> it obviously he did. I mean, he yeah, completely... Yeah. But um, he said, you could even end up in Broadmoor with me. That is where you belong. So, and then after a while, he kind of got a bit warmer. said, be strong. God will look after you. Your friend Peter is how we ended the letter. So yeah, it, it's yeah, it it was a very disruptive thing, and it would have cost you know thousands upon thousands of pounds on the on the whole investigation. His his red hair in there. 
So the 1st of June 2006, the Byford report is published, and this is the secret report of Sir Lawrence Byford into the investigation and failures of the police forces and their efforts to apprehend the Yorkshire Ripper. So they obviously had multiple、um, kind of regional police forces on the case. They also pulled up some individuals from Scotland Yard um, um, at the point when they thought.、Um, You know that the the local Yorkshire police were failing, which was quite interesting because there were kind of some uh, some um, smimy comments from from Yorkshire saying that they still haven't caught Jack the Ripper. So、yeah. why would they catch the Yorkshire Ripper?、Um, so the Byford report is published,、um, and it's、uh, it's fully published. It's available if you want to check it out. It's a massive、uh, amount of information, but it, it comes in、uh, in to conclude that there were a huge number of errors,、uh, you know, multiple level errors, but a lot. Um, unfortunately,、uh, came from George Oldfield. So on the 16th of July 2010, Sutcliffe is given the full life term. So now he's no longer to apply for parole. He's no longer able to, you know, try and leave. He's now going to be there until the day he dies. You know, it's always curious what's the reason behind these things. We've already we've already speculated some motives and the things going on. Part of it, when he was younger, apparently he was very fascinated about the human body and all these kind of things. A very weird one was he was reportedly really obsessed with STDs. <laughs> which is a very strange thing for a kid to be obsessed with, but he'd go to a local wax museum, which had a whole exhibition about the kind of how the body reacts to certain things,、um, which is a very bizarre thing, passion to have as a kid. STDs. Yeah, yeah that's an interesting one.、Uh, another is、um, that he was trying to reconcile the、uh, the loving mother、um, he had idealized,、um, and that is basically that his father had portrayed his mother as being a very you know. Well, the words I've got here are sluttish、uh, woman, and obviously the the affairs. So he wanted to reconcile that and、um, and clear、um, clear the streets、uh, by saying that each woman was either a pure virgin mother worthy of sacred love, or they were a sinful whore. So、um, we like to look at、um, how these kind of cases are reflected into popular culture as well.、Um, there was. Brass Eye, a great show, a very satirical show. They actually made a Peter Sutcliffe the musical. On day release from Broadmoor Prison, Sutcliffe has been rehearsing intensively for three months. And I really am so very truly sorry. I think it was the third or fourth、uh, murder where a newspaper referred to him as a ripper.、Um, obviously, the comparisons have been there for Jack the Ripper throughout, with the hoax letters, the hoax audio.、Um, but it, if you put them side by side, Jack the Ripper had five victims. Uh, whereas the Yorkshire Ripper had twenty-two victims, thirteen、um, of which were murdered, and nine were seriously injured. Yeah, so it's, it's an awful lot. Like he managed to cause such mayhem there. One of the M's. Well, there you go. Maybe your M's aren't so muggish. <laughs> One thing Ben mentioned earlier on was our Instagram. I was posting about it. There's a quite a famous picture of、um, X Fighter. Frank Bruno shaking hands with、um, yes. Peter Sutcliffe, and this, Frank Bruno said, "Savile planned it. It was not a nice thing to do to me. If I had known it was the Ripper, I'd have tried to get out of it. It was a scary feeling. I'd rather shake hands with Mike Tyson." Another weird bit of information is that during his time as a, a trucker, you know, with his HGV license,、um, he had a handwritten note while he slept、um, in his truck, and that was displayed on the the front window. And it said, "In this truck is a man whose latent genius, if unleashed, would rock the nation. Whose dynamic energy would overpower those around him. Better let him sleep." And that was handwritten by Sutcliffe. I think that very much sums him up as a person. Yeah. I think that's quite a nice, nice bit to end it on, Ben. Yeah. And that was the case of Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper. 
a big case. I mean, we haven't seen the edit yet, obviously. We're right here, but I imagine this is going to be one of our longest episodes yet. Yes, but what a way to kick off series two. We're back, baby. Thank you very much for watching. And if you enjoyed the case, please give us a like, give us a comment. Let us know if there's any cases you want to you wanna see in the future. Um, we are doing mini cases on Patreon if we do yeah. think the case doesn't quite warrant a full episode. Yeah, we there's do a few it. up there already, actually. If you there is. There's already a handful up there. So please come along and have a chat and let us know what you think. Yeah, and uh, I mean, thank you guys again for your continued support. Um, obviously, we've, been, we've had a little break now, but we've got weekly episodes back. We are, um, you know, we're in Boston Sound with Dan the Man say something Dan <laughs> yeah we're really excited to be back we've got some great cases coming up and uh, yeah, we recently hit 20,000 audio downloads which is amazing um, unbelievable yes yeah, so we can't wait to show you what's coming what's coming up yeah there's some biggies coming keep telling your friends about us tell your family about us share us um, and if you could leave a like or um, a, a rating we would really appreciate it because that seriously helps us grow get us back up those charts yep yeah. okay guys until next time Bye. Bye. You've been listening to I Could Murder a Podcast, written and presented by Tom Norris and Ben Carter. Additional voiceover by Joel Beckett and Ben Harris. Produced and mixed by Dan Lambert at Boston Sound. Edited by Kean O'Leary. Artwork and animation by Phil Witten. Theme song by Alfie Indra. If you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Follow us on our Instagram and Twitter accounts. Just search at GoodMurderapod. And make sure to tell all of your friends. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.